either on the first night or the first morning at some time, the beginning of the retreat, I had mentioned something about this practice not having any destination. And I thought this might be a good time to check back in with you to find out whether you've actually remembered that. (laughs) Because I think that you know, from this perspective, after we've been practicing for about three or four days now, it's easy to start to imagine again that we're actually trying to get somewhere or that something's supposed to happen. And I'm sure that there are ways that your mind has been fabricating all kinds of um, things that you either expect to happen or want to have happen or think should happen (laughs) and why aren't they happening? (laughs) And, you know, I've been doing this practice for so long, so why am I just where I am now, you know? Um, You know, it's the fourth day of the retreat already and why am I still feeling like this? Um, Or the opposite where, wow, you know, this retreat is really what I hoped it would be because all these wonderful things are happening, you know, and that's, that's we're just measuring it on the other end, right? Because things are going well or the way we like them to. <laughs> but then, you know, there's the possibility of coming along and then things change and then it's like, wait a minute, but things are going so well, you know? So all those all those ways can be indication indications that we still think that there's something that's supposed to be happening or some where we're supposed to be going in time and space. So as I say this, I'm just kind of, you know, challenging a little bit to reflect on that, you know, for yourself just to see if in fact that might be the case. Because if there's any disappointment or unhappiness about your practice or even, you know, the sense that I'm really getting what I want, (laughs) there's still some belief that this practice is going somewhere. And you might even be saying to yourself, but surely it must be. (laughs) Why am I doing all this practice? What am I doing it for if there's, you know, nowhere for this to be going? So I thought I would talk a little bit about the goal of the practice. Because we, and amongst other things, but just to begin, because one of the, one of the things is that we have lots of ideas about what the goal of this practice is. And one of them... Uh, falls under this very kind of large umbrella of enlightenment or awakening, you know, which in some ways is uh, kind of unfortunate that that word ever got put into the vocabulary of spiritual practice because it, 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 it sort of doesn't really mean anything, you know. It's one of these concepts that has been dropped into the spiritual realm 
And then people imagine that it means all kinds of things and, you know, want it and reach for it and expect it and I'm not there yet and, you know, all different kinds of ways we evaluate that without even really knowing what it is. And so I think that it's kind of unfortunate that that word is used because I don't really think that there is such a thing as enlightenment in the sense that there is some place that we arrive at. You know, again, we can imagine that that's where we're going, you know, into this enlightened state. But again, it's, it assumes that there is a place or a state or some, somewhere that has to be somewhat static because then we would know when we got there. We say, oh, I'm here. <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> like there's some kind of marker or something. So I don't think that, that it can be like that, given that everything that arises, passes, there's a, a constant kind of flux and flow of conditioned arising and passing. So surely, in any kind of awakened state, there's still going to be this change, this expression of a very a diverse kind of experience. It's not going to be anything in particular. So, so then, if what then what? <laughs> sort of what? Where does that leave us then? You know, I've had people people talk about it a different way, where they say, "Well, I just want to get rid of my ego." That's another one. You know, well, then I'll know that I'm, I'm there, that I, I've reached the goal of the path. Well, first of all, the Buddha never talked about ego. The, the word that was, was used in the, the Pali canon is, was translated as, as self. Self. And then one time when the Buddha was asked, you know, because this question's is there a self? Is there not a self? You know, what is this self? I mean, this, this has been going on for thousands of years, right? And it's still going on. So in one of the discourses, when the Buddha was asked whether there was a self or is there no self, the Buddha didn't answer. He didn't answer. He didn't say there was a self or a no self. He didn't. He said that question is not helpful. That's not useful. He just left it. So there's nowhere. There's nowhere in the teachings or in the practices anything about getting rid of a self or an ego self. So that's not the goal of the practice either. <laughs> And yet we can, you know, sometimes feel like, and certainly on retreats, you know, this whole thing can start to become like a, a, um, a self-improvement project. You know, well, we just want to get better. You know, we want to be better. We, we want to, you know, change ourselves and, you know, be more than we are. And, and we get into a kind of project mentality, where, where, where we become the project that needs to be fixed. And that's usually based on some idea that the way I am isn't okay, 
and I'm a problem or I'm wrong or there's something wrong with me and I, ne I need to be fixed. And so then we get into that whole same kind of thinking of I'm like this now but I need to be like that and so then when I'm like that, I'll be better and I'll be happier and, and then the, everything will be fine. <laughs> and again, it's still in time and space. It's still in the dimension of, of um, the, conventional, the conventional world. The teachings point to going beyond these conventional ideas of time and space. That's why it says there's nowhere to go because as soon as we start talking about some goal or destination, then there's somewhere we need to get to. And it's not what this is about. All of the practices, all of the teachings point us back here. I mean, we all know this because anything we read, any teacher that we sit with, <laughs> They're all saying, just come back here. Just come back here. Because the whole of the practice is happening right here. And so, so the whole intention, we might say, or the attention is to see what happens when we fabricate some other place that we need to get, there, to, get to or some other way that we need to be. Rather than just continuing to look at what's right here. And, and right now, right here, is everything that, that we need to work with. If, we wanna, if anything that we want to bring our attention to is right here. Our plate is already full. <laughs> You know, we don't need to be looking too far ahead or even too far back to try to heal our, our personal past or, you know, create our personal future. You know, that really expands things in time and space. And sometimes we can feel very burdened by all that. But when we just stay right here, there's a lot going on right here. And so what's talked about as the goal of this practice is the cultivation of wisdom. I'm just simply talked about as the cultivation of wisdom. And within wisdom falls compassion the, because it's the mind and the heart. In Asian teachings, in, in, the East, in the Eastern philosophical teachings, there's no difference between the mind and the heart. There's one word, it's called citta, C-I-T-T-A, means consciousness. And it's this, might talk, be talked about as the purification of consciousness. This purification of consciousness, so that consciousness awakens. It's an awakening of this consciousness that is dull, that is dulled, that can't see clearly. That is, it sees through kind of a, a prism or a distortion. So we don't have to go very far <laughs> to just look at our own mind and heart right now. Just right now. That's all we can do is look at 
our mind and heart right now because the rest is all fabricated, the future and the past, but we can really look and see what's operating right now. What way is my consciousness dull? Which way is there this kind of lack of radiance, lack of light, illumination? We might talk about this path, too, as this, the path to, uh, for, for the mind to become a vehicle of illumination. It's kind of brightening the mind, lightening the mind. And so, and so we're, we're continually turning our attention back here now to see what are the conditions, what are the conditions right here that are obscuring the possibility of this, of this brilliant or radiant or awake consciousness that is already here, that I am, that is here, that everything is, but something's obscuring that recognition. Something obscures that recognition. So we talk about that as the cultivation of wisdom or the awakening of wisdom. One of the ways that this is um, talked about is the, uh, within the context of these five spiritual powers. Talk about the five spiritual powers. And these five spiritual powers are something that we're practicing. This is what we're practicing and we are drawing on all the time. The very first one is, they all work together. and They kind of work together like an engine, like a, a, a powerful engine, and they feed each other. So the first one is of faith. And when we enter a spiritual path, there has to be the awakening of faith, or there, or there isn't one. We're just in the ordinary, dulled consciousness, just in the conventional world, the world of time and space, going from here to there, going about our business, busy with the things of the world, and there really isn't a lot of reflection about something outside of that, sort of the ordinary mind or the ordinary reality. But a lot of people are just living within that. Not so many questions about is there something more, is there something else. You know, or there may be, but that often may sometimes be a projection of a of a, a higher some higher power or something separate from our consciousness, something separate from ourselves. But maybe, you know, this deep questioning that perhaps there's something there's something right here and now that can, I can start to feel, I can start to touch, I can start to be, oh, be awakened to. So the first is that awakening of faith, which is a kind of a spark or the, the, the first kind of awakening of the inner light, that flame. Sometimes it's talk about the inner flame. And, and this, this awakening of this inner flame is something that isn't actually very, um, we can't really talk about how that happens. It seems to be kind of a moment of grace. It just, we talk about it as a moment of grace. 
that just something wakes up. And then it wakes up into this questioning or this longing or this wanting, you know, something more than just this conventional world, this conventional reality of, of time and space and, and going from A to B. So, so that's, the, that's how we enter into the spiritual dimension is through some kind of faith or it can be translated as kind of a trustful confidence that there's, there's some kind of confidence that there's something more. This isn't it. This can't be all there is. You know that feeling. Is this all there is? You know, there must be something more. And when that faith or trustful confidence starts to wake up, it brings energy. It starts to bring energy. And so the second spiritual power is energy. So from that trust and that confidence, we wake up, and, and that's that kind of when the mind starts to question and be curious and be interested and starts to seek a bit. You know, what, well, what is it? So that energy starts to move, and that energy is a power. And then so the, the trust feeds the energy, and then the energy feeds the mindfulness, which is the capacity to start paying attention. So some clarity, some reflective, some, some ref, uh, um, access to the reflective consciousness that can start to see and know and identify what's happening. The mindfulness that wakes up to what's actually happening in my experience and outside my experience. And so, so there's some confidence that there's something to, to find out about or to be curious about, to start inquire about. There's energy for that. And then the mindfulness is, starts to be driven by that. And then, the, and then the mindfulness feeds the next spiritual power, which is the concentration, that we start to get focused. So concentration is the focusing of that attention. Mindfulness is the capacity to know and to, to, to be in contact with our experience. But concentration starts to focus us. So now we've got the, the, the faith, the confidence, we've got the energy, we've got the mindfulness, and we've got concentration where so this is important. And we can really keep our, our attention focused on what it is that we are interested in pursuing and finding out about and inquiring and investigating. This aliveness, this vitality starts to happen within our being. The fifth spiritual power is wisdom. So the faith... The energy, the mindfulness, and concentration are what give rise to the wisdom. It's, the, it's what empowers the arising of the knowledge of what we call this intelligent understanding about the way things are. We start to find out through our direct knowing and our direct experience about the way things actually are not just being caught in our conventional ideas and beliefs and assumptions and what we've learned, sort of the accumulated knowledge that we've learned from our parents and from society and from our friends and school. And, I mean, that's the sort of a collected cultural knowledge base 
that informs our personality and who we become. But when that, that, that faith awakens in us and we say, well, there's got to be something more. This can't be all there is. Then we start to be empowered on the path to awaken this deeper knowledge. Sometimes it's called secret knowledge. You know, the secret knowledge about the, the nature of the universe, the nature of existence itself, which can only start to be known, can only start to be understood as we enter into the realm of the spirit, the spiritual realm. Because we have to leap out of, leap, leap out of the conventional worldly current and way of being in order to start to, to delve in to this realm of wisdom, this deep wisdom. It's the wisdom of our own being and the wisdom of the universe, which we start to realize at some point is not different, that we are that. We, we are the same nature. We are the same consciousness. We are the same. There is no separation between our being and the whole universe. That wisdom starts to open and awaken and expand, and it's, it's, we start to really find out, who am I? Who am I? I'm not necessarily just this small, limited, uh, individual entity that I've always taken myself to be, this kind of this, there, this small personality that's kind of walking through space and time, and all these other beings are kind of walking through space and time, and there's just this kind of, you know, automated sort of somewhat mechanical way that we're all moving in our cars and in buses and, you know, in, from one place to the next. I mean, do you ever get, you know, do you ever get that sense that sometimes we just keep rearranging the furniture? You know, I, I, I often think of that, like when I'm, I'm home and I'm just having to clean or wash the dishes or, you know, cook my food or do my laundry or get, it's like, how long have I been doing this? You know, I'm just doing the same things. I'm repeating the same things again and again and again, packing my clothes, you know, taking them out of the suitcase, you know, making my travel plans, you know, talking to my friends, going out to dinner. <laughs> like, how many times am I going to go out to dinner? <laughs> going to the movies, watching something on TV. It's like, isn't there anything else? <laughs> You know, <laughs> cleaning the floor, <laughs> washing the toilet. It's like, come on, you know? It's like <laughs> so repetitive in this conventional world. There's got to be something else, you know? So, so we, we, start to, we, have to, we start to wake up, those of us who, you know, something, something drops in. We go, yes, there, that, who am I? Is this, this all, all it's about? And something starts to awaken in us. We question, we investigate, we, we, we start to feel and sense that there is something more and we come into direct contact with that, the, the direct knowing of that, which then reinforces the faith. Our faith gets stronger. Our energy gets more vibrant. Our mindfulness gets stronger. The concentration gets stronger. The wisdom starts to expand which then deepens our faith 
stronger energy, more mindfulness, more concentration. That's why these are called spiritual powers, because they empower us along the path. This is what, what the wheel, I see it as a wheel or an engine that just goes, gets stronger and stronger and is, is actually putting out more kilowatts. And those kilowatts just keep increasing and increasing and increasing until it gets pretty. If you ever sat with a, with a master, you know, someone who has been, you know, really doing their, their, their practice, there's a lot of kilowatts. <laughs> I mean, sometimes enough to knock you over, which has happened to me a few times. Just the, it's just some kind of, you know, something through the energy is so powerful it's called transmission that transmission energy is just like it's it's just can blow your mind right you've heard that expression it's what often can happen for us when we're when we sit with these masters when their minds are so strong and so powerful this is the generator this is the generator so we say there. So in the, if there's so if there's some goal in the practice, it's just the increasing of this. This is what gets stronger, and in that, the wisdom gets more brilliant and connected to the way things are. We start to see clearly. This is called the, the clarity, like the, the mirror starts getting clean. You know, it's, it's, a, it's reflecting. The reflector is, is, a, is, a, is a better reflector because it's clean. It doesn't have a lot of smudge and soil and, and, and uh, dirt on it, but it's a, a brilliant kind of uh, a clear mirror that can reflect everything everything back to itself. This consciousness becomes like that mirror. And everything just starts getting reflected back, and that gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So when we talk about awaken, better than enlightenment, I don't like the word enlightenment because it sounds too static, but I like the word awakening because it's, it's, a, it's a verb, and it indicates a journey or, or a process or, or a path that we're engaged in. It's active. So there seems to be an awakening of consciousness that doesn't necessarily have any particular destination, <laughs> but just keeps awakening <laughs> to itself, to this mystery. Maybe that's why the Beatles called their, one of their albums the Magical Mystery Tour, you know? It's kind of like that. It's like we're on this magical mystery tour. Where are we going? <laughs> but in some ways, it may be more interesting or more um, of an adventure to not know where we're going. If we knew where we were going, I don't know, somehow it just, it, well, it does, it's hypothetical. <laughs> we can't know where we're going. Nobody knows where we're going. <laughs> Mostly what a master would say to you would be just drop the question. <laughs> it's not a helpful question. 
and just be here. Just be here and look at your own mind. Be here and look at your own mind because this is all we've got. This is all there is. There is nothing else. Everything else is fabricated. It's a fabrication of conventional, uh, conceptual, it's a conceptual framework. It's, it's useful. I mean, we can't live without it. That's part of our human uh, design is that we use our conceptual framework and it helps us move ahead in our evolution. We are an evolving species, it seems. <laughs> Sometimes we doubt that, too. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> there is something called evolution. <laughs> but is it necessarily better, <laughs> right? So it seems that there is some, there certainly is change, there certainly is evolution, but where is it going towards? Where are we going? Again, we don't know. And yet there seems to be this potential to awaken this wisdom this clear, intelligent knowing of this, of where we find ourselves. But the only way that can get generated is by being here, really being here, really being connected with the present reality because this is where it's all happening. If, if we want to really find out about the nature of who I am and the nature of this universe and, and this existence, we have to look here because the rest is going to be all an intellectual um, speculation. But yet the spiritual teachings and the spiritual practices and the masters of all time have said we can answer those questions by looking at our own mind, our own consciousness, within our own heart now by staying in the present. So one of the ways that the wisdom, one of the ways the wisdom manifests in consciousness, one of the characteristics of the consciousness is that it has the capacity to discern our experience. It's not that we do this, it's consciousness that has this capacity to know this from that. It, that's the wisdom. We can, we can wisely discern that, um, and through, then, then through the memory of language and the, the practice of language where we can start to talk about this and, and perception, we can say, yeah, now it's night and it's dark outside, but earlier it was light outside and the sun was shining and it was warm and now there's no sun, it's cooler, but it looks like there's a moon. We can discern those things and there are differences. We can start to, to make discernments about the differences in our, in our experience. And then we can, we can do that outwardly and we can do that inwardly. We can discern that now I have a pain in my body it wasn't there two hours ago, and I need to give some attention to that. That's intelligence. This is an intelligent, wise discernment 
that helps us navigate and function in our world, in this existence, in this, this condition that we find ourselves in. And so we want to we wanna cultivate that wise discernment in order to raise our consciousness, to bring our consciousness to higher and higher and more subtle and clearer states to lighter and brighter and more radiant states. So one of the ways that the Buddha, one of the most important teachings of the Buddha and a pith teaching in the Buddha is this, what's often called this path of purification where we begin to really discern in our momentary, moment-to-moment experience what's happening in our experience that's leading us towards these brighter, more open, more harmonious, connected, happier states, mind states, and ways of being, and what's happening in our experience that is actually more habitually engaged in habits that are bringing us towards the same old kind of pain and suffering and conflict and separation and suffering. And, and that the, in the, the practice is that we then begin to encourage the experiences that are leading us more towards happy states, and we discourage the habits and experiences that are leading us towards suffering states. And that this we can discern. This is something that we can actually see within our own experience. That when I do this behavior, it leads me to more pain and suffering. (laughs) When I do this behavior, like generosity and loving kindness and honesty and um, compassionate behavior, all that, that makes me feel happy. I feel more open, I feel more expanded, I feel more spacious, I feel more connected to my inner wisdom and love and resources. It's, it's, it's natural that we want that. It's, that's not an ego-driven or self-driven idea. That is part of our being, that we Oh, we want to. It's part of our makeup as human, our human design, that we want to be happy. We want to move towards happier and more easeful and uh, more comfortable conditions, inner and outer. That's our makeup. And we don't want to suffer. No being wants to suffer. Not even the tiniest little insect wants to suffer. And I, I just sometimes, you, when you know, like you have ants in your house, you know, and sometimes they're a little more persistent than others, you know, and I'll, you know, I'll kind of sweep them away. And sometimes I'll just catch one little ant and I'll see it and it's sort of going like this, you know, kind of repel- being, you know, repelling from my, from my finger or my, you know, it's just the whole little being is just like, no, don't hurt me. <laughs> you, know? 
You know, that kind of that instinctual or that primal kind of way of protecting its life. You know, it's, that's, that's in our DNA. That's in our makeup. That's in, you know, all living beings have that. We don't want to suffer. And, you know, it really just evokes this heart of compassion in me, even when that little ant, you know, just goes like that. <laughs> you know, and I think, oh, my God, I'm so sensitive, you know. If my mother could only see me now, you know. <laughs> she just has her fly swatter out, you know. She's just you know, swatting and, you know, the cockroaches and the mosquitoes. It's like, get them out of here, you know. It's like, and I go, oh, the poor ant. <laughs> you know. Like, what's become of me? (laughs) But it's just that, you know, I'm just so sensitive to the suffering of any being, you know, any little being, you know, and wanting to protect that, protect these beings, you know. So it's it's such a dilemma. It's so hard when there's that conflict in nature where, you know, it's either me or the, or the or the the being or the the little insect or it's me or the animal or it's me or whatever you know that these are the ethical dilemmas that we find ourselves in but hopefully we're approaching those with some discernment some wise discernment and this is how we 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 move into the situations in our life which is here as well right here on the retreat this is our life this is not separate from our life and and really look at and and pay attention to am i moving am i am am i making in, in, in choices from a place of wisdom and and kindness and compassion or am i just caught in my usual tendencies of confusion or delusion or not paying attention not knowing uh where the where the where the awareness is actually not really activated of greed, of aversion, <coughs> those very painful and strong and difficult forces in the mind that pull us away from living a life of wisdom and compassion. So we don't have to go anywhere to see this, to pay attention to this. It's right now, it's right here discerning within our own mind, our own consciousness, what's, what, what's happening right now, what's moving within me. One of the factors on the Eightfold Path is called wise intention or wise thought, where this is really the key teaching, where we're really paying attention to these impulses, which are thoughts are like an impulse. A thought will arise, and because, because things happen so quick, you know, our organism is, you know, ha- things are happening in nanoseconds or, you know, I don't even know in physics what, you know, the, what these things are called. But things happen so fast that we don't see how quickly the mind formulates something and then we act or we talk or where our body goes into some kind of action. But as we increase the powers of 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 mindfulness and concentration and energy, then we can start to see and catch things more quickly before we act and before we speak. Before the, before the impulses that are, that are firing in our mind due to habits and conditioned habits, when we start to actually become sense enough to 
feel the the impulse and the intention to then act, we can stop it. We can call back that energy before it moves out in some way that's going to reinforce those habits that move us away from our our um, aspirations for what we want for ourselves, or there, or just do we follow it and just keep getting involved in those tendencies, reinforcing them, and then the some of the pain and some of the suffering that that then is a consequence of that. So this is the wisdom, this this wise discernment that we can we are practicing that we start to. Uh, strengthen in the and, and at the same time strengthening these spiritual powers. So everything here on the retreat, everything here has arisen through an impulse to support this awakening. Everything that we're doing here is supporting this awakening. And we have myriad things that are happening here to support that. That's what creates this kind of retreat or this kind of container, which then we call creating a sacred space because a sacred space is in the support of the higher mind or the development of this wisdom and this compassion. So we pull together all of these conditions here to to nudge this along so we have... We have the place, which is protected and silent. We have the schedule, which is kind of a structure to hold the the wandering mind and body that would just kind of drift off and go here and there. You know, we have food that is the intention is for it to be the most the best food for your practice. We have the support of Donna. We have the support of me guiding your practice. We have the teachings. We have all the different practices that are being presented all the the, the vasana practices plus all the the heart practices, the walking practices, the work, the karma yoga uh, work periods, all of that, everything, the nature, the beautiful sacred space all around us, the community, like-minded people, so many conditions, so many wise intentions. That are, that are arising out of wisdom and compassion so that, that can, so that something can evolve, something can grow, something can strengthen within us as we engage in this, as we participate in this. So that impulse, that, that, that force or that, that movement of, of wisdom already manifesting in every way right here, We're swimming in that. We're swimming in that here. So that we can really stay here and be present and look at our own mind and our own heart. So those are the outer conditions that are supporting. And then the practices turn us so that we can then begin to look at the inner conditions and begin to make these wise choices for ourselves every moment what are we setting in motion here? Every moment, what are you setting in motion? What's that impulse? Or what's that intention leading you towards? 
And is it one, through wise discernment, one that you want to follow or one that you probably best not follow? <laughs> I just want to read this from the Dhammapada, very important um, uh, teaching from the Buddha. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So this is what we're examining. So I just thought maybe we would take a little time together. And I just want to kind of ask, and we'll, we'll just take a little time and just kind of ask kind of what, what are, the, are some of the impulses that you might notice that you'd like to follow but then some wisdom comes in and says, maybe better not follow that because I'm here to really develop my mind and my heart. So I'll give you an example, and then I'd love to hear just some things from the retreat, things that have happened here on the retreat. So one example um, that I thought of while I was reflecting on this was one time when I was at the three-month retreat, um, you know, we have yogi jobs. And so my yogi job was pot washing. And I always liked a vigorous job, you know, because I had a lot of energy and, you know, it was just really good to work and just kind of like not have to really pay attention in the way that, you know, I thought that I needed to pay attention, which felt like more work than the pot washing at the time. So... <laughs> So pot washing actually felt like a break. <laughs> and so, you know, there were about 100 people on the retreat. So, so you know, there were a lot of pots. <laughs> and so there were three of us pot washing. So one person was washing the pots and two people were drying and putting away. So I was one of the people who was drying. So while I was drying, there was time I had to wait because the pot washer took longer washing the pots than it would for me to dry. So I was sort of standing there. So in my usual aversive mind, because I have a lot had and probably still do have a lot of aversion, but I would sort of stand there and watch how the pot washer <laughs> was washing the pot. <laughs> And, of course, didn't like the way the pot washer was washing the pot and would stand there and sort of think of all the ways that this person could be doing this a whole lot better or more efficiently or not waste so much water or, you know, at least fill the sink or do it this way. And I would just get, I'd just be getting angry at the pot washer. <laughs> I would just be cultivating this anger and this aversion towards the pot washer because I, I just didn't like the way he was washing the pots. <laughs> And so then it occurred to me in my infinite wisdom, you know, this is the 
this is the transformation that we're bringing about, I realized that it might be helpful for me to restrain my eyes <laughs> and stop looking at the pot washer. <laughs> and so then my practice became one of actually turning my eyes away, just focusing on my job, paying attention, being mindful of my body, my presence, my, you know, drawing the pots, and just turn away from that pot washer. And as I did that, I started to become more calm and happier. So it was, you know, a, a transformation that was happening as I practiced that, restraining my eyes. So I just thought I would throw it out just to, you know, for you to reflect for a moment. Just anything, you know, that may have happened in the last couple of days that might have been this kind of, we call this insight. It's a kind of insight like, oh, I don't need to keep doing that. <laughs> or if I do that, it's going to lead me away from my deepest values. So it's anything anything that comes to mind. Because this is, this is actually the practice we call the application of wisdom, the application of wisdom. Yeah, and then Brian, yeah. Beautiful. And so when you realize that, then what happened? Yeah, then, yeah, just the release. The release. The release, right. The release of that and then an openness. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Brian? I have a difficult time um, being, uh, staying concentrated. And the further from this building, I guess, the less concentrated I've become. That's great. And so, so that's, I'm just w wondering, is it something that you've actually applied or you still think, you know, still something you're, you're aware of? Have you applied that? Oh, sure. Okay. Great. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. That's the application of the insight. The, the, the insight is wisdom. Mm -hmm. Erica? Um, when I was, this happens almost every meal, but it was particularly strong I was adding ingredients in my mind to the soup. <laughs> I was basically changing the meal to suit my needs. And, um, and uh, 
it's been, I think I've just sort of let that happen to all the other meals and I've just gone through that and eaten my meal. But tonight I had a real sense of just uh, realizing that I was trying to fix something that wasn't broken. <laughs> and I was able to then just enjoy the gift of the food right. with all due gratitude to <laughs> all of the energy that has to happen to put it together. I felt this huge warmth to Dorothy and Verna yeah, for likeliness. Yeah. Like massive leap for them. <laughs> yeah. To prepare yam lentil soup. <laughs> you know? Like really. I think it's right off the Richter scale. <laughs> and so it was just so beautiful because by the time I had finished eating, I was filled with just gratitude yeah. for this meal that 10 minutes earlier I was thinking, I want to put a little bit of lemon <laughs> and maybe a little chili sauce. Just, you know, it was... <laughs> yeah. So this is a... So, so also what we're seeing here is the trans... Call, I call it the transmutation of the energy. It's the transformation of the energy. So rather than that energy going out like that, in some aversion as well, right, trying to fix it, you know, it, it just transmuted into this incredible loving kindness and generosity. And nothing changed except your mind. Same soup. <laughs> and it tasted better. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, what else? We've got two over here. So, so what was the insight? So where's the wisdom? So we're talking about the application of some wisdom. Things that, that, things that you might be afraid to do or? Uh-huh, so the embarrassment around it. Uh-huh, so pushing through, pushing through some kind of sense of limitation. Right? Yeah. And so, so that, that feeling of some constriction and then saying, no, I don't have to just be constricted by that. I can be bigger. And there was some kind of somersault that happened. Yeah, great. That's, a, that's good. So transmuting that energy. Yeah. A little knee injury, so some consequences. Yeah. <laughs>
Right. So, so not giving in in this case to the to the resistance or the temptation to stay in bed, but knowing that when you got to the pillow in the hall, that there would be great benefit in support of this awakening. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Buddha the Buddha has a discourse um, where he's talking a lot about this transmutation, and, and he, he just calls that sometimes it's dukkha now, sukha later. <laughs> so dukkha is the suffering now, but sukha is the is the happiness. So he says dukkha now, sukha later. <laughs> so that would be an example. Dukkha now, <laughs> but that that suffering is going to lead to the end of suffering. Call it suffering that leads to the end of suffering. That's what we want to be interested in. This last one. Um, in our little journey as bell ringers and going up the stairs, in the back stairs, there's a really nice retro dresser. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, those, some that didn't hear, there's a nice retro dresser. And it's in really good condition. And I've been looking for a dresser. <laughs> You recognize that as a kind of greed. You felt that energy as a greed, and you saw that that wasn't really where you wanted to be coming from. Yeah. And so recognizing that, you could transmute that, and there was more calmness. Yeah. This is beautiful. You know, this is this is this is what we're doing here. You know, it's this, it's 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 really taking these qualities of our of our spiritual qualities or spiritual powers faculties and using them so that we can bring our consciousness into a vehicle of light, a vehicle of illumination, so that this so the mind is illuminated to discover more and more and more, to learn more and more and more, to become even more wise, to become more compassionate, to become more intelligent. So we don't have to just be stuck with TV shows and movies and restaurants and (laughs) 
I mean, I'm just using that as an example, you know, so sort of for the repetition of samsara, just this wheel of birth and death, birth and death, birth and death. But there is more. So the the Buddha talks about taking this ordinary mind, the ordinary mind where the greed and the aversion and the confusion or delusion, the ignorance is just running through the mind stream and transmuting that, transforming that energy so that the greed transforms into renunciation or letting go. That's what happens. You just let go. That energy changes into a living with little or not needing, not wanting. You know, just that, that, that attitude of renunciation. The aversion transmutes into loving kindness. That's what you were talking about. You know, some not liking, and then as we stay with that, then the heart opens, and that was beautiful, and the, the generosity and the love. You know, if we feel this sense of cruelty, you know, the way the mind, the seeds of aggression and the seeds of violence within our own mind, as we recognize that and work with it, it transmutes into compassion, where we want to alleviate the suffering of beings rather than hurt them or harm them. And ignorance, where the mind is dull, where the mind is not connected with the truth of things, starts to awaken and open to wisdom. It's this brilliant, radiant light of wisdom. And when I sense into that and I, and I feel that, I get a sun-like, very sun-like radiance, just like the sun that empowers our planet, that empowers our, our universe. And it seems that it's the sun, that sunlight, that is a, really a reflection of our own brilliance, our own consciousness, that is empowering all of consciousness. It's all connected. There's no separation. There's no difference. And so we're awakening. We're awakening. So I'm hoping that you continue to reflect um, a little bit more on the ways that you are noticing that transformation within your own mind here on the retreat and the ways that it happens Right now, just in this present moment, that's where it's all happening. You don't have to go anywhere else. Just stay here, and everything will be revealed. Let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.